0: Welcome back. This week we are talking about a case that you might not have heard of but might be hearing a lot about this week and that is the case of Wisconsin versus Taylor Shabusiness. This is a criminal homicide trial that is going on right now in Wisconsin. As I'm recording this on Monday opening arguments and the first witnesses took place, the reason that we are talking about this today is because this is going to be a two-part trial because Taylor Shabusiness has pled not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity, which is kind of an older phrase for it. But the NGI plea is still called an NGI plea, even though it's not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And because it is two phases of a trial, we are going to talk about legally what happens and what that means. We will be talking a little bit about the facts of this case. The facts of this case are graphic. I am going to do my best to neutralize the case. It is a dismemberment case. And some of That conversation will come up. But I've seen a lot of questions about, you know, if she told police that she did it and if she told police how she did it, why is this going to trial and what are the two phases of the trial and what kind of comes up in a trial like this where you have to do it in two parts. And so we're going to talk about all of that today. So if you have not heard about this case, it's a lot. I think I gave fair warning. The, the defendants' statements that we are going to talk about um, are, are rough, and we are going to do our best to just walk through this case. It's it's going to be a fairly quick, I think, penalty phase trial, but then when we get into the NGI part of the trial, I think we're going to see a lot more information about this case, and I'll be covering that more on YouTube as we get past the um, guilt phase of the case so let's talk about the Shabismus case welcome to the emily show i'm emily d baker the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the cursey words i've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years i'm a former prosecutor and i break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about we should just get into it let's go Before we get into a difficult case today, a huge thank you to our sponsor, Thrive Cosmetics, for making episodes like this possible. Today, I am wearing the Brilliant Eye Brightener because I need to look awake despite it being all of an entire day. What I love is that it's a really easy stick application that goes on easy. You can blur a little bit with your fingertips, and it is basically foolproof eye makeup with over 13 different shades and more than 10,000 five-star reviews. You can find out for yourself why it's fantastic and feel good about doing it with clean skin-loving ingredients, but it is also cruelty-free and 100% vegan. And not only are you doing something good for your skin and for your beauty routine, but you're also giving back. Cause is in the name for a reason. As part of their mission, every purchase supports organizations that help communities thrive. So if you are ready to get the things I love for yourself, you have to give Thrive Cosmetics a try and get 20% off your first order when you visit thrivecosmetics.com slash Lonard. That's 20% off your first order at Thrive Cosmetics, dot com slash Lonard. All right. Buckle up. Let's get back to today's episode. So in this case that is currently undergoing a streamed kind of high publicity case, Taylor Shibusiness, the defendant in this case, is facing three counts. First degree intentional homicide, mutilating a corpse, and third degree sexual assault. I will not be getting into the details of the sexual assault really at all. Um, Those are alleged to have occurred after death based on the defendant's own statements. The defense has made a lot of motions regarding whether or not those are proper um, charges, whether those can go forward based on the languaging of the laws in Wisconsin. And I'm not going to really dive deep into that today because we're going to be talking mostly about the intentional homicide, the defendant's own statements. The mutilating a corpse is related to the dismemberment of the case that will come up as we talk about the defendant's own statements and what happened in this case. But again, I think the reason that I wanted to talk about this case is because the behavior can seem completely outside of, of behavior that you would expect. And that doesn't necessarily mean that competency or an NGI plea are going to be, um, viable in this case. And we're going to talk about how many times the defendant has gone up for competency proceedings and the fact that those competency proceedings have all come back. Um, with her being competent to stand trial as soon as friday and we're going to talk about that too but when you look at the facts of this case you're like how do people do this right right but it does not mean that they can't perceive right from wrong it does not mean that they're not able to participate in the prosecution and that is part of why we're talking about this because even though the behavior is so far outside the boundaries Of civilized society and behavior in a civilized society, it does not mean that somebody cannot be brought to trial for it. So, as we talk about this case, we are going to talk some about the facts of the case, mostly about the defendant's statements in the case, and then about the law with regard to NGI and the way that an NGI trial goes forward in this case. I'm not going to read all of the details of the defendant's own statement, but If you are interested in this case, the defendant's statement will be played in court. She had a whole interview with law enforcement that was recorded, and they are going to play that for the jury. So a brief background on this case before we start talking about what happened in opening statements and what the evidence will out as we move forward. The uh, homicide occurred on February 23rd, 2022. Tailorship Business, the defendant, and victim Shad Theron were um, at Shad's mother's house. They knew each other from high school. It seemed like they had briefly dated in high school and were still friendly, um, sometimes romantically friendly. Both of them, at the time that the killings took place, were 24 years old. They had spent time together during the day. They had done methamphetamine. They had gone back to... Shad's mother's house and were down in a room in the basement. Um, It seemed like they were starting to engage in intimate activity. And then there was a dog spike choke collar involved that ended up being the manner in which Taylor Shabizness choked uh, the victim until he passed. After that, she dismembered parts of his body. Some of it she took to the car and took with her. Some of it she left in the basement. She left um, his head in a bucket, and that's what was ultimately found by his mother, which is absolutely horrific. The rest of him was also in the basement, but there is evidence that she attempted to clean up the basement. Things were washed um, in the shower. Things looked to be cleaned up. So there. are were again in disha at the crime scene that she had tried to clean up the crime scene and hide what had been done including putting um part of him into a bag with the knives that were used putting part of him into a bucket and covering it up putting part of him into a vehicle and covering it up doing things to hide The fact that the killing had taken place and trying to hide that the killing had taken place, which can play into a jury's decision about whether someone truly did not know right from wrong. Because if you are looking at not being able to perceive right from wrong, if you're looking at not guilty by reason of mental defect or disease, perceiving right from wrong and trying to hide your actions generally goes against not knowing that. So, The storm door at the house slammed sometime between 2.30 and 3 a.m. It's when the mother discovered the bucket and called law enforcement. Her boyfriend that was staying with her, the mother's boyfriend that was staying with her, called law enforcement. The 911 call was played in court Uh, today. It sounds like everybody was in shock. It's absolutely heartbreaking uh, for those that were in the house and discovered this. They very quickly said he was with um, Taylorship Business. That's who he had been with. This is where she lives. Police showed up at her house. And as the prosecutor said in their opening statements, she was literally caught red-handed when law enforcement showed up. She came out with blood still on her hands and on her clothes. So in opening statements today, the prosecution said, you know, this isn't really a whodunit case. This is... case that comes down to choices and responsibility. And at the end of the day, the evidence is going to show to you that no one else was there with her, that she was the one who did this and that she admitted that to law enforcement in interviews with law enforcement. We also know that the defense is going to have a hard time with this case in the guilt phase of the case. Like, did she do this? Because the defense started their opening statement on Monday with The defendant has the right to a presumption of innocence. When you get a defense opening statement that starts at the presumption of innocence, it's because there is no other, there is no real way to very well argue that the evidence doesn't prove that it's her because her fingerprints are on the knives and she has his blood on him and she tells police that she does it. And so there's not much That can be said, of course, they are going to argue that she's still under the influence of drugs when she gives her um, statement to law enforcement, though, in the evidentiary hearings that came up. Of course, the defense argued these aren't reliable statements and the court was like, well, these are going to be allowed in. So when the defense is in an opening statement, not arguing the facts, not arguing alternative versions of the facts, what you get is a defense attorney that is there to make sure that this trial goes down procedurally properly and then to try to get on to the phase afterwards. So the defense opening statement was exactly what you would expect in that circumstance. The prosecution has to prove the case. There's a presumption of innocence that she has a right not to testify. She may testify, she may not, but you can't use it against her. So the defense's opening statements was a reiterating of the defendant's constitutional rights. They talked about the fact that her interview was on video with police. They asked the jury to keep an open mind to play close attention to her statements to police. Um, I imagine it's because they are going to be arguing that later that either her statements weren't reliable because of the intoxication with the methamphetamine, or because they're going to argue that she could not perceive right from wrong when if she is convicted, and then they get into the second phase of the trial. They said, don't rush to judgment. They said, keep an open mind. And there's two sides to every story, and we'll ask you to find uh, her not guilty on all counts. We'll see what they argue in closing. This trial has moved along pretty quickly because, again, the evidence is what the evidence is. There's a substantial amount of evidence. She was literally found shortly after the victim was discovered, covered in his blood. And so there's not... A lot to discuss with do we think she did it or not? Because all signs point to yes. The judge read in the jury instructions at the beginning of the case, the way that you've seen, if you've watched Trial with Me over on YouTube, that you've seen multiple times where the judge gives the opening instructions to the jury. In this case, they were a little different because of that NGI plea. And the court said, you know, the defendant has pled not guilty and NGI, not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. And the court made very clear to the jury that if they come back with a guilty verdict, there will be a second phase of the trial. And at that second phase of the trial, they will determine um, whether the not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect, which I will, you know, truncate to NGI, whether the NGI is proven or not, whether there is a mental um, medical diagnosis that accounts for this behavior in a way that she cannot then be um, held for life in prison without the possibility of parole, because this is not a death penalty case, but life in prison without the possibility of parole, or whether she would be sentenced to a uh, medical Treatment facility, a mental health treatment facility. So that's really what's being argued here. So, what we're going to look at is first the defendant's own statements in this case. And then we are going to look at the law in Wisconsin with regard to that NGI when they get there. Do I think a jury will likely come back with a guilty verdict based on the statements that are made by the defendant? Probably. Probably will. And as we go through the probable cause statement, we will you will see some of that. So we're going to talk about that first. I would love to know your thoughts. And then, as I said, we will get into the the law on the thing. And if you're watching over on YouTube, you can also use the chaptering feature if you don't want to know what the defendant said. And you can chapter past it to go to when we talk about The second phase of this trial, if the defendant's convicted, what that means. And I will be talking at that time more about the competency hearing. But first, we need to go to what the defendant said about this crime coming from the probable cause affidavit in this complaint when the defendant was charged with the three counts that we previously talked about. So let's do that now. So, what I'm going to go through in the probable cause affidavit is mostly what was said in the interview. And again, this will come up when um, the interview is played in trial. And yes, to answer any questions, even if the defendant chooses not to testify, what the defendant said in the interview can be used. So it's not as if the defendant choosing not to testify at trial blocks the interview from being used. This is probably a good time to discuss the Fifth Amendment and the fact that your right to remain silent only works if you, in fact, remain silent. And so If the defendant had not spoken to law enforcement at all and then it goes to trial, the prosecution cannot comment in any way on the fact that the defendant remains silent. So if a defendant does not speak to law enforcement, does not testify at trial, you won't, shouldn't see a prosecutor say things like, well, you know wouldn't an innocent person have said to you what happened or shouldn't, you know, we've never heard their version. You cannot comment on it. So if you don't, if you choose to remain silent and actually follow that through with remaining silent, it cannot be used against you. It cannot be commented on during a prosecution in any way. But the defendant was Mirandized in this case and chose to give a lengthy statement law enforcement. And I think the defense, if she is convicted, will use the way she gave that statement to argue that that statement um, further bears out a a mental condition that warrants her being found not guilty because of that, and will use the statement and rely on it in that way. But there's nothing they can do to block the statement from being used. They tried to argue that because she was under the influence, or they're arguing that when she gave this uh, interview, she was still under the influence of methamphetamine, but the court denied that. We've heard from the lawyers during that first day of trial on Monday, July 24th, that the prosecution will be playing the video. The defense mentioned it in their opening statements as well. So that is a little bit on the Fifth Amendment. It only works if you use it. So police receive the 911 call, they go to the home, they confirm that what was reported to them about the bucket is in fact not a joke, not fake, Not it is what it is, and then they find other indicia that a crime had happened in the home um, and call for backup immediately. They go to Taylor Shabusiness's residence And Taylor Shibisnes comes out, quote, with what appeared to be dried blood on the front of her black hooded sweatshirt and her black sweatpants, and later found her hands appeared to be smeared with blood as well. And there was also what looked like dried blood on the back of her sweatshirt. The officer asked Shibisnes if she knew why officers were there, and she stated something that sounded like, because of my warrant for my arrest. At that time, law enforcement was also searching the van, which turns out to be her roommate's van. I will just say, I feel for the parents in this case, who I don't know how you go to that house again. I feel for the victim's family in this case so much. I also feel for the defendant's roommate whose van she took. Like, all of it, it, it is just kind of mind-boggling it is, which is probably why this this particular trial has gained uh, national interest because of her statements, but also because you don't get a lot of trials where people are just fully decapitated and everyone is like, what is happening? And what is happening is a very good question in this case. So law enforcement search the roommate's van and find a box that clearly has additional human body parts in it. Law enforcement at the scene finds what appeared to be cleanup efforts. So when we talk about other cases where there has not been, or where there's a question about whether there's been a cleanup or not, cleaning up leaves evidence of cleaning up. And in this case, there was evidence of cleaning up. There were cleaning materials. There were... um incomplete cleanup where it looks like things had been um wiped and cleaned but not fully and so it left streaks those things were then chemically tested etc so there was evidence that things had been cleaned up which again goes to the NGI because if you truly don't appreciate what you've done if you don't know that what you've done is wrong are you then trying to clean it up and cover it up the victim's mother indicated that it was about 9.30 p.m. when shabusiness picked up the victim from the mother's house and that they went out and then returned to the home. But they did not see shabusiness return to the home, but they saw the van and they heard her voice. And multiple people in the home confirmed that they heard her come back to the home and heard her boy- voice. And one person in the home saw her, multiple people in the home saw the van, the van where the victim, well, part of the victim was later found. When law enforcement spoke to the victim after advising her of her rights, the detective told the defendant that a few hours ago officers were sent to a residence in Green Bay in which the head of the victim was found. She business's response was, quote, that is pretty fucked up. The Uh, Agreed. We agree. On that, we agree. The detective then asked the defendant if she knew the victim. She said that she did. The detective confirmed where she lived and that the van located was her roommate's van. The detective confirmed that she drove the van earlier uh, to the home. The detective asked where the rest of the victim's body was, and she stated that it was still in the basement. Detective asked her to tell him what happened, and her first comments to the detective was, That is a good question. She then says she has blacked out during the time. Um, The detective asked the defendant if it was just her and the victim down in the basement. She said that it was and that nobody else had come down. She said that she and the victim had been smoking the, quote unquote, the bitch. The detective confirmed that she was referring to methamphetamine. She said that she and the victim were starting to have intimate relations and then The um, dog choke collar, she called it a chain. It was later determined to be a dog choke collar, but then the dog choke collar came out and um, and then she kept using the dog choke collar. When the detective asked about the minivan and if she and the victim had contact with anybody when they first got back into the house, she made the statement, damn the head, I can't believe I left the head though. And so when you're looking at a case where you're like, but okay, you have the victim's blood on you. You were last seen with the victim. Your car has evidence of the crime in the car. Your fingerprints are on the knives. You've told police what happened. You've told police that you have forgotten to more thoroughly clean up the crime scene. Why does this even go to a guilt phase? Well, the defense was fighting on Friday before this started trial to find that she was not competent to stand trial and have more time. Here's the thing with competency, though. Even if she had been, which she wasn't, but even if she had been not found competent to stand trial, that pauses proceedings until she becomes competent. So it could be that she is then um, on medication or in treatment or time has passed, and she then becomes competent. It's not a, you can never try this person. It is a, at this time, this person might not be competent, but they can be returned to competency. So depending, and we'll get into um, what the defense has said is going on with tailorship business, but if the court orders you to be medicated, which they can, and that restores competency, then the trial still goes forward. So that is part of it. After she said that she can't believe she left the head at the house, the detective asked where the rest of the body was. She told the police that they were going to have fun trying to find the rest of it. Um, She stated where it should be in the basement. She stated to police what was in the minivan. She um, stated to police in detail exactly what she did with the victim's head. She told police how she had done this um, with a bread knife from the kitchen, told the police that that one worked best because of the serrated blade. She um, talked about using different bags from the basement to hide the, the body. She said that she was getting paranoid and lazy, and she thought it was the dope that was making her paranoid. She said that to police. And again, when you argue an NGI, being voluntarily intoxicated, using voluntarily using something like methamphetamine and then saying, well, the methamphetamine caused me to do XYZ is not going to fly because you can't use that voluntary Intoxication. You chose to get intoxicated. You can't use that voluntary intoxication to then argue that you couldn't have committed this crime. It needs—that is not—that will not fly. And I think that's what we're going to hear from the prosecution if this gets to an NGI um, phase, which means she's found guilty. Again, I imagine that that's probably what will happen in this case, that she's found guilty, and then it gets to the NGI portion of the trial where the entire part of the trial will be over— her mental state and whether this was, um, caused by the methamphetamine, whether this was just a choice that was made or whether this truly is a circumstance where, uh, she did not know and cannot be tried for what she was doing because of a mental defect. And again, that is, that is how it is. It is a mental disease or defect is how it is, um, Lined out in the statutes. She explained to the police fairly graphically about how long it took um, for the victim to pass, knowing that he had passed, and what she did after he passed. She also told police that she was watching his face and waiting for him to pass, so this is not going to be argued that it was an accident. And As she was talking about that, two police said, yeah, I liked it. So, again, we're not getting a circumstance necessarily where this was an accident, where um, things had gotten too far. Based on the defendant's statements, this was a choice that could have been backed away from, but she decided to keep going and was watching the victim and was aware um about the damage that she was causing and ultimately um killing him by choking she also asked the detectives if they knew what it was like to love something so much that you kill it um she talked about the time after the the victim passed and told police that her plan was to take all of the victim with her but got lazy and didn't take the rest of it to the car she said to police she didn't necessarily mean to kill him, but she liked what she was doing and kept doing it. Police did ask, and I'm not surprised that police asked because during the course of this conversation with her, I think the police are starting to wonder if the, if we are dealing with someone who might be NGI or someone who is just high on meth or someone who snapped and killed someone they're trying to figure out what they're dealing with and we're asking her if she knew the difference between right and wrong and she commented that she did it anyway and so that i think will come up more in the um second phase of this trial if it gets to a second phase of the trial but it is truly factually a horrific case it's going to be a lot for the jury to get through on Friday let's talk about what's happening in court now that we've gone through thank you for hanging with me through the facts of this case now that we've gone through the facts in this case let's talk about the legal that's been happening um since last week and into this week but first we need to thank our sponsor for allowing me to talk about cases that otherwise are difficult to talk about on the internet. So thank you. Thank you to our sponsor, Lomi, for making today's episode possible. It is summer travel season. And with that... Sometimes you end up with those things in the fridge that you just don't know what to do with. Lomi is an electric countertop composter that takes your food scraps and turns them into dirt in under four hours. And the Lomi makes that easy because you can compost that food down so it doesn't stink up your fridge while you're away. You don't feel like you're wasting it, so it can go fertilize your lawn and garden. And then you can feel good about cleaning out the fridge before you get out of town. It is a hassle-free, stink-free experience. We use our Lomi daily and have used it for months before they reached out to sponsor. I was like, yes, we love our Lomi. So whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash and use promo code lawnard to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I slash and use promo code lawnard at checkout. Let's get into the rest of today's episode. So on Friday, July 21st, there was another competency hearing. There have been three previous court-ordered competency evaluations and over five competency evaluations in this case. So there was another competency hearing. And again, we talked about this last week. On the podcast, that for competency, it's whether or not the defendant can understand the proceedings and assist in their own defense. And that's what that's the standard that to- the court's going to have to decide with Tom Girardi. And that's the standard the court had to decide here. Can this defendant understand what is happening in court and assist in their own defense? And that standard is not a super high standard. And we've seen this defendant, I think part of the reason that this case kind of, well, other than the the facts of this case being horrific, but there was a televised court hearing where this defendant attacked her previous attorney in court, Um, even though she was, her hands were chained at the waist, but she got up and lunged at her attorney. And so that kind of pushed the case back into the news. So on Friday, there was a final competency hearing before they finished picking a jury. The jury was picked pretty quickly. I'm not surprised. It's the jury selection in this case is going to be so like, drugs are bad, murder's bad. Have you heard about this case in the media? That's, I don't know what else the attorneys are going to ask about. Can you listen to all the evidence and be fair? Some of the evidence will be graphic. Can you sit through graphic evidence and graphic crime scene photos? So there have been five competency evaluations There was, the court was very careful to say there was only one evaluation that suggested she was not competent. And the prosecution argued, again, that, you know, in all of the competency evaluations, there was generally a finding of competency. There was one that questioned that. And there are reasons to legally attack the one that questioned it. The defense argued that she has been diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder with psychotic features, that she needs more time in treatment to be competent to stand trial. And the court made a fairly thorough record, not super lengthy, but a fairly thorough record saying, I have witnessed and watched this defendant. I can see this defendant engaging with her defense team and went through a lot of what the doctors had said, including the fact that It was asked about her inappropriate behavior in court, and the doctor stated that they couldn't rule out that that behavior was volitional, that the behavior that is inappropriate in court or out of place in court was chosen behavior. It was not acting out of uh, mental illness. It was her choosing to behave that way. So the court went through what was in the evaluations in their own... um, their own perception of the defendant saying, we've seen this defendant engage competently with her counsel, sit through court proceedings, understand what's going on in court proceedings, and and knowing um, what's happening here. So based on all of that, she has the mental capacity to understand the proceedings and has the capacity to aid and assist her counsel. So then the trial went forward. Prosecution's opening statement we talked about a little bit that she, he, they said the defendant was literally caught red-handed. I think the prosecution did a very good job in their opening to neutralize the the evidence as much as they can. They didn't make it dramatic. It wasn't a sensationalized opening. It was, on this day, this happened. They heard a door slam. This is what they found. They called law enforcement. Law enforcement found this. Law enforcement went to Shibisnes' residence and found her with blood on her hands, this is just what it just a very neutral. This is what happened. This case comes down to the defendant's own choices and responsibilities. And we're going to ask you to find guilt on all three counts. And the defense opening statement was very much like, there are constitutional rights. Please keep an open mind. So that's the that's for defense attorneys. that's the there's not much else I can argue because the evidence is what it is. So let's talk a bit about what. NGI means, what the statute says, and what the jury will have to determine if Taylor's business is found guilty during the first phase of the trial, shall we? So in Wisconsin, not everywhere do you have NGI pleas, but in Wisconsin, there is an NGI plea, and the defense can plead not guilty or not guilty by reason of mental d- disease or defect. The trial is separated into a guilt phase and then really into the NGI phase, which is more of the penalty phase, because a not, an NGI plea or an NGI finding by a jury is not a, you didn't do it. It's a, your punishment shouldn't be life in prison. It changes the punishment. So when I call it the punishment phase of the trial, that's why I'm calling it the punishment phase of the trial. The jury will still have to decide whether or not the NGI has been proven, and all of the... Um mental health and expert testimony will come during that phase of the trial. Because if she is acquitted, if it's determined that she didn't do this, then there's no point in going through that entire phase of the trial. Hopefully that makes sense. So the NGI plea will be tried to the jury. The jury does not have to unanimously decide on that part of the trial. The NGI can be determined by five-sixths of the jurors. So most but not all. Which is interesting. And under the statute in Wisconsin, it says that if a plea of NGI is tried by a jury, the court shall inform the jury of the effect of the verdict of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defects. In that, in lieu of a criminal sentence or probation, the defendant will be committed to the custody of the Department of Health Services and will be placed in an appropriate institution unless the court determines that the defendant would not pose a danger to himself or herself and others if released under conditions ordered by the court. Meaning under an NGI, you could be placed in an appropriate institution that can, can actually treat and deal with and help with um, whatever the, the underlying issue is or can be released if they do not pose a danger to themselves or others. The court goes on to say no verdict of plea of not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect may be valid or received unless agreed to by five-sixths of the jurors. And then the code section goes on to talk about um, where a defendant can be housed. But with the defendant being housed, if the NGI is found, it really takes that life sentence without parole in prison off the table and changes it. It gives you the possibility of getting out um, of custody at some point in the future or entirely now after this defendant has attacked her defense counsel in court. I don't know if the NGI is found. If the court will release this defendant, I think that would be unlikely. But what the prosecution is going to really argue here is that her use of methamphetamine, a voluntary intoxication, does not constitute a mental disease or defect that it's more likely that some of the decision-making here was impacted or or um, facilitated by the voluntary intoxication, but that that is not a defense to the action. If you, it's 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 a much different case, but it's not like in drunk driving, you can say, well, I chose to have drinks and then I drove and then I hit somebody, but because I was drunk, I didn't know what I was doing, so it's not my fault. Voluntary intoxication does not qualify you for NGI. So the voluntary intoxication is what the prosecution is going to be arguing in this case if it goes to the NGI phase. Which I generally don't say what I think a jury will do, but um, in this one, I'm more surprised that the defendant didn't plead. Well, they can't, Emily. Talk it through. (laughs) They can't really say. Let's go to a penalty phase. It's not like a death penalty case where you can plead guilty to the thing that you did and then go to the sentencing phase and just let the d- jury determine um, determine the sentence as I started my sentence wrong. So you can't plea guilty and then go for the NGI. You just need to go through the trial, which is why the defense is like, keep an open mind, because you need to go through the guilt part of the trial to then get to the NGI part of the trial. And that's what really this is. This is a mental health defense or a um, mental disease or defect case. This is a case on whether or not this defendant knew what they were doing, perceived what they were doing, or had a mental disease or defect or diagnosis that explains why they did this. Jurors especially when there's voluntary intoxication, don't come down on NGI often, especially when you have a case where she was trying to clean up the crime scene. That kind of goes against an argument that she didn't know what she was doing. She didn't perceive that it was wrong. She didn't know that this was sometimes the arguments you get is you don't know that this is a human. You don't perceive what is actually happening in the world. And so you don't know that what you're doing is what you're doing. She seemed very aware in an interview with law enforcement that she knew what she was doing. She knew why she was doing it. And she chose to continue doing it. And that this was not a, a fast killing. This took minutes. And she talked about that with law enforcement, um, with that strangulation. So it's not, I, I don't think it's going to be a very long trial. I think they will get to the NGI phase of the trial. And then we will together take a look at the NGI phase of the trial and the expert evidence that is presented with regard to the guilt phase of the trial. Buyer, buyer, beware on that. Like caveat emptor, I have given you as Tamped down a version of this case as I can. Some of the evidence in this case has not been streamed at all. A number of the witnesses have not been shown on stream and have been protected from stream by statute in Wisconsin. And a lot of the crime scene photos have not been shown, though some have. So, with all of this, let me know your thoughts on this case. I hope that I helped you understand a little bit why the case is going through the guilt phase before it gets to the NGI phase. Because again, if you're saying that you essentially did the thing, but like didn't know that you were doing the thing, and therefore you shouldn't be sentenced to life in custody without the possibility of parole because of a mental disease or defect, that is why you've got this guilt phase happening where it's just going to go through Um, fairly quickly. We're not going to see a ton of fighting between the attorneys on the evidence. That's happened before the case even got to the jury. It should be a pretty um, quick trial, all things considered, and then get into this, um, into the NGI phase of the trial. So I hope that made it clear. I hope that explained the two phases of the trial. And as a lot of you know, I often record the podcast behind the scenes with our incredible members who support us in our nerd communities. And we've got a few questions that I'm going to share with you. First, from Ashley Gallant, doesn't NGI necessarily admit that the defendant committed the crime? It gives the jury an option to say, if you find the defendant did it, Then you can find that the defendant didn't know what they were doing was wrong. So the defendant doesn't and shouldn't be in a prison. They should be in a a mental health facility. So it is more of a defense, if that makes sense. Sam asked, are the lawyers she attacked in court or did she get new lawyers? She got new lawyers after the attorneys that she attacked. Kate asked, is there any police body cam evidence of her statements? There is video of her statements. I don't think it's body cam video, though. I think it's interview room video. Um, he asked, how many times can a defendant's attorney ask for competency in the case? Three of the competency evaluations were ordered by the court, and the defense attorney can bring that up if something has changed, if the court needs to check in. Um, this was a lot of evaluations in a fairly short period of time this took place February 23rd, 2022. We're in the middle of 2023, so it hasn't been a substantially long case. So it really, really depends on the circumstances, the availability to get those evaluations done given a jurisdiction. These evaluations seem to go much quicker in Wisconsin than my experience with similar evaluations in LA that could take months to get done. So it really just depends And the attorney is allowed to raise that with the court and saying, I have a question with regard to my client's competency. That's the defense attorney doing their job. Hillary H. asked, will it be the same jury that hears the NGI as hears the guilt phase? Yes, it will. There's some rules if you lose um, jurors. But in this case, they have, I believe, four or five alternate jurors and a pretty short case. So they should have enough jurors to get all the way through. And yes, it is the same jury that decides. Uh, Sam asked, can she just be found guilty and skip the NGI phase? No. If she is found guilty, the jury will have to determine if she is uh, NGI, if she is not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. They can say no, but they have to go through that phase of the trial because of her plea. Lonards, I hope that helped explain this case, the process the case is taking, the trial the evidence that'll be presented at trial and then what will happen if the jury finds Taylor business guilty and then goes on to decide the second part of this case whether or not um even though they find her guilty they find her not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect hopefully it makes sense i know that this trial is is a ru- the facts are really really sad. It is a horrific case. The I cannot talk too much about how badly I feel for the victim's family here. It is it is hard to think about um what they went through f- finding what they found in their house and that's something they are going to have to go through again as they testify in this case. And so it though it will be a a rather quick trial it is still going to be a very heavy trial, a trial I wouldn't wish on any juror. Um, and with that, hopefully we've made some things clear. I appreciate you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a law nerd. Thank you for being for letting me talk about the law sides of difficult and wild cases, and the fact that just because the behavior is so far outside. The bounds of civilized society doesn't necessarily mean that it is behavior that won't uh be tried and be punished. So the behavior itself is not what's considered here. The facts of the case are not what's considered here for competency and for NGI. It is truly uh the findings, and it is up for the jury to find that if they first find Taylor Ship business guilty. I would love to know your thoughts on that. Let me know in the comments. And with that, Lawnards. Let's all just take a deep breath. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your family be well. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May the odds be ever in your favor. And may, if you choose to watch this case at all, you get it during testimony that does not stay with you for the rest of your life. And with that, caveat emptor, friends, and I will see you in the next one. You can find more law nerd goodness in our private law nerd community over at LawNerdsUnite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the QuickBits podcast and QuickBits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a law nerd.